Centuries ago there lived a king, my little readers will say immediately. No, children, you are mistaken. Once upon a time there was a piece of wood. It was not an expensive piece of wood, far from it, just a common block of firewood, one of those thick, solid logs that are put on the fire in winter to make cold rooms cozy and warm. Trovò un pezzo di legno che piangeva e rideva come un bambino. C'era una volta un re, diranno subito i miei piccoli lettori. No, ragazzi, avete sbagliato. C'era una volta un pezzo di legno. Non era un legno di lusso, ma un semplice pezzo da castata, di quelli che d'inverno si mettono nelle stufe e nei caminetti per accendere il fuoco e per riscaldare le stanze. You're listening to the Sill Podcast with Peter Noce and Harry Posner. Episode 144, Time Trek, Pinocchio, A Tale of Two Puppets. Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. Two Puppets. Yes, this is the tale of two puppets. It was a lovely puppet. It was a horrible puppet. Yes. It was a happy puppet. It was a sad puppet. Right. It was a gentle puppet. It was a malicious puppet. Mm-hmm. Two puppets, the original Pinocchio. And the Disney version. And the Disney Pinocchio. So the original version was released in serial form from 1880 to 1883, roughly. Right. And then it was published as a book. In 1883. Before that, it was put in as a periodical in a journal. Giornale dei Bambini. Giornale dei Bambini. Thank you. And then, of course, 1940 was the Disney version, which was his second feature film, animated film, after Snow White. Mm-hmm. And it took two, three years to make. Yeah, uh, hundreds of thousands of cells, because back in those days, mm-hmm. dozens and dozens of animators would, by hand, draw these characters It was extraordinary, really, when you think about the effort that went into making those early Disney films. Even more extraordinary was the fact that he threw out the first 2,300 feet of footage. That's right. And so Disney, of course, took this story, which in its original form, which we're going to quote during this podcast, and adjusted it, so to speak, for mm-hmm. a kindler, gentler reader. Much kinder, gentler. Yeah, yeah. Really shifting the nature of the story and mm-hmm. the characters, etc. Mm-hmm. So we should probably begin with the original. And the person who wrote it. Yes. His real name actually was Carlo... Lorenzini. Lorenzini. He was born in Florence. And not too far from Florence, where his grandmother lived, was a little town called... Collodi. Collodi. It was also the birthplace of his mother and his birthplace. Right. And so when he decided to write, originally he was writing political articles around the time prior to Italy's independence, independence mm-hmm. which happened in 1870. But there was a series of wars that ran late 40s to the late 60s. Yeah, and he actually volunteered with, Tuscan the, Army. with the Tuscan army during that period. Mm-hmm. And he changed his writer's name to Carlo Collodi. So it was under that pen name that he began after a period of writing for adults, and he got tired of that. Mm-hmm. He decided to write for children. And after several different works, this one was serialized and then put in this journal over this period of time. So interesting fact, partway through 
this story, mm -hmm. and I've actually recorded this, or we're going to play it for you. The actual first ending of this story, poor Pinocchio meets his demise, actually. In the original story. The original story. Mm -hmm. And maybe let's just play this for you first. This is how the original story ended at first. The assassins looked at each other in dismay, holding the handles of the knives in their hands. I understand, said one of them to the other. There's nothing left to do now but to hang him. To hang him, repeated the other. They tied Pinocchio's hands behind his shoulders and slipped the noose around his neck. Throwing the rope over the high limb of a giant oak tree, they pulled till the poor marionette hung far up in space. Satisfied with their work, they sat on the grass waiting for Pinocchio to give his last gasp. But after three hours, the marionette's eyes were still open, his mouth still shut, and his legs kicked harder than ever. Tired of waiting, the assassins called to him mockingly, Goodbye till tomorrow. When we return in the morning, we hope that you'll be polite enough to let us find you dead and gone and with your mouth wide open. With these words, they went. A few minutes went by and then a wild wind started to blow. As it shrieked and moaned, the poor little sufferer was blown to and fro like the hammer of a bell. The rocking made him seasick and the noose, becoming tighter and tighter, choked him. Little by little, a film covered his eyes. Death was creeping nearer and nearer, and the marionette still hoped for some good soul to come to his rescue, but no one appeared. As he was about to die, he thought of his poor old father, and hardly conscious of what he was saying, murmured to himself, Oh, father, dear father, if you were only here. These were his last words. He closed his eyes, opened his mouth, stretched out his legs, and hung there as if he were dead. So, the poor marionette gets hung from a tree. <laughs> yeah, literally. The story ends. Yes. And the publisher of the Giornale says, uh, hey, Collodi, we, listen, we, we, these yeah. poor kids, right. you know, they're going to be traumatized by this. You can't right. do this. You have to have a better ending. Mm -hmm. And so he agrees to write more of mm -hmm. the story. He extends it. He extends it but actually, in a way, makes the violence even more malicious. Mm -hmm. But he follows the publisher's uh, rule, but he changes it. Well, he softens it with a softer ending. He balances it out. Yeah. But he exactly. actually increases the amount of violence or the whole aggressive feel to the story in between. That's right. Mm -hmm. And his character of Pinocchio is so different from the Disney. Disney's character is much more gentle, much more like a little boy, mm -hmm. in a way, innocent, in a sense, falling to temptation and that sort of thing. Whereas this Pinocchio in the original, by the way, Pino means pine, and Occhio means... Eye. Eye. So wooden eye. That's a direct translation, but yeah. really it's referring more to a piece of wood in general. Right, right. And so this Pinocchio is uh, much more spoiled, much more prone to following temptation right away and not thinking about it too much. He talks about what his ideal life would be, and it's mm. all about loafing and sleeping and playing around all day, etc., etc. And in the story, at one point, of course, he falls prey to that temptation yep. and is driven by the carriage man with a whole bunch of other spoiled brats 
to what's called in the Disney movie Pleasure Island. And in the original, it's Toyland or the Land of Toys, mm-hmm. where you can just play all day and all night and you can blow up shit and you can have fun and no consequences, right? Well, the political comparison there was fascist regime. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. How do you mean? Well, draw that analogy with the whole island segment of the story because of the violence, because of the characterization. And and as you know, Peterson. Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson. He does an entire presentation on this analogy. Yeah. For anybody that's curious or interested. Yeah, it's really brilliant. And really, he's talking about the archetypal and mm-hmm. nature of the story, of the themes in the story. You know, yes. in a sense, the, think about Pinocchio kind of going away from home, from his father, and yes. having these adventures and learning all these lessons and then finding his way back in the end right. to home, the return of the prodigal son kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's during his 45-minute discussion where he uses Pinocchio as the background to his explanations. Yes. Sort of a metaphor Mm -hmm. for what he's describing. It's during that discussion that he brings up this whole fascist idea. Yeah, and other interesting ideas too, because he talks about the biblical nature of the themes. Mm -hmm. And he uses as an example Jiminy Cricket. Yes. In the Disney film, he was called Jiminy Cricket. And he points out that in some Southern cultures in the U.S., the phrase Jiminy Cricket is a kind of low-level way of saying Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Jiminy Cricket, J.C. Yeah, and in the Disney film, Jiminy Cricket is his conscience. Mm-hmm. Not in the original so much. Which is really interesting to me because if you consider that the book was written in the 1880s, yeah, long before all this took place. Right. So basically, it's our modern kind of analysis of a book that was written over a century ago. Yeah, we don't know how conscious... Collodi was about these themes when he wrote the story. Often writers will write things and subconsciously, unconsciously, they're picking up on these large mm-hmm. archetypal thought forms and uh, fairy tales and that sort of thing. I think in the original story, Collodi was talking about his own time period mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the obedience of small children, Yeah, the integrity aspect, children not to lie, not to cheat. That was the kind of original base And, of course, he came from a more punitive perspective in the sense that that's how things were dealt with then. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You weren't negotiating or having time out. When you misbehaved, there were some serious consequences. Right, like a slap across the face in some cultures. Right, well, especially in that culture, too, you know, being very patriarchal uh, and remembering the times just after the unification of Italy. Now, a lot of people probably don't know that as well, Yeah, that the actual confederation, so to speak, of that country occurred after Canada. <laughs> right. right. Even, even though it's a country that most people align Italy with the Roman Empire, obviously. Yeah. So it's perceived as a country that's thousands of years old. Right. And yet it was just a series of empires and states mm-hmm. from the French to the Spaniards to the Greeks. It was invaded by every conceivable yeah. Empire that you could think of. But interestingly, it may be that Collodi wrote this story as a children's story, but it's really a parable for adults and for the idea of Italy's independence. I mean, yes. after all, the marionette is trying to gain his independence first exactly. from the strings, the strings of colonialism, maybe. Exactly. And breaks yeah. away from yeah. that. It's like a tether that has to be broken away from. Yeah. So who knows whether that was in his mind as he wrote this. Mm-hmm. It's an age-old way of writing politically to do it under cover of a different kind of story mm-hmm. or format. Mm-hmm. So that could have been 
of course, part of his reasoning for writing this story, hard to say. Right, exactly. It makes for interesting conversation as well, because as we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, mm -hmm. Walt Disney becomes almost obsessed with this story. Yeah, yeah. He had a thing for Pinocchio, and of course, he obviously softened it up for American and for world viewers from mm -hmm. his own perspective, because you have to also remember that this was on the tail of having finished Snow White. Right. Which was a very successful animation and Walt Disney's first major animation in 1937. So Pinocchio comes into the picture and contrary to how it is now, I mean, more people talk about Pinocchio oftentimes now than they do about Snow White. Mm. But it's been elevated to that in recent decades. In the beginning, it was not as successful as Snow White. That's right. Yeah. Nowhere near it. Mm -hmm. But it became so and even surpassed its popularity because of a lot of these things that we're talking about now. Yeah. This deviation from the original story, which Disney had a tendency to do anyway. Right. And it came out in 1940. That's right. And the war had begun exactly. by then, Second World War. So your comment about fascism, mm -hmm. is that what you meant, that connection because of the timing of it? Well, it came out in the discussion, like a lot of things that weren't originally there, they came out because parallels were drawn uh -huh, with right. the story, with what was actually happening. Right. You talked about the island and you described what went on in that island. Yeah. It was basically a free-for-all. Yep. Babylon. <laughs> right. Which, which there were comparisons to the whole fascist rise in Europe uh -huh. because that was considered very anti-royalty, anti-empire, anarchy, basically. Yeah. It was mm -hmm. a, a complete breakaway. Right, right. Another interesting difference between the movie and the, the original story is the marionette theater. Now, in the original story, Pinocchio is walking along and he's supposed to go to school and he sees the theater. He yep. goes, oh, that looks interesting. Well, maybe I'll just go to the theater and see that because it's a marionette theater. It's, right. I'm a marionette. Let's check it out. So he goes there. And then Stromboli in the movie, mm -hmm. forget his name in the original story, kind of kidnaps him and holds him there. But in the movie, the cat, the blind cat and the lame fox, yes. they talk to him about what the life of an actor will be and how famous he can become and how rich. And mm -hmm. so they tempt him. They tempt him. It's not in the original story. They right. tempt him to go into the marionette theater because he can be famous. So that's why he goes into it, not just to see the show. Very, very different. And the suggestion is that it's an indictment of Hollywood and the vacuous nature of Hollywood that you become an actor and get famous. The, and all the search that. for stardom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that there's something there that Disney had built into this storyline that wasn't there in the original. Oh, no. Disney really adapted this story to suit yep. their particular needs and their particular style, mm -hmm. which of course, bottom line too, is profitability and so on. So there were a lot of factors that went into making these changes. Yep. And there are some very interesting facts yeah. about the movie itself. Mm -hmm. So first of all, just to clarify, the kind of direct translation that was being used for Pinocchio was little wooden head. Okay. Oh, so, okay. So even though the direct translation is pine wood, but it's still wood. The hardest part, apparently, of the production was making Pinocchio a sympathetic character. Mm -hmm. Because Collodi's story was rewritten to remove the wooden boy's mischievous, even malicious streak and make him more passive. Uh -huh. But the trickier part was making him look more like a human boy than a block of wood. 
Uh-huh. So in the actual animation, this transformation uh-huh. provided challenges. And so we talked about what it took to make the movie. Mm-hmm. It took 12 artists, uh-huh. 18 months to come up with just a look for Pinocchio that was rounded and cute enough to pass muster, so to speak. Mm. And the animator, his name was Milt Call, finally hit upon the idea of drawing him as a human boy. Mm-hmm. And then adding the puppets, nails and joints and so on. Yeah, and there was lots of innovations in the way that film came together as well. Right. Disney had his animators work from looking at their own face and expressions, mm-hmm. making different expressions so that they could translate those expressions more like a real life situation to these animated characters' faces, yes. for example. And they used different techniques for the underwater scenes. Yes, right that was actually well. a brand new technical application where they used, I believe, glass. Yeah, like corrugated glass or that sort of thing yeah. to give that sense. And that whole underwater scene at the end is interesting. And also the point of that scene too, underwater, that I'd like to make is that Disney made another change. In the original, it's a giant shark that's right. That swallows up Geppetto and Pinocchio. In the Disney, it's Monstro, a giant whale. Right. Which is a bit of a softer... Yes. <laughs> Even though in the uh, actual animation, there is a ferocity to Monstro that we don't normally associate with whales. Yes. Well, that's true, too. Kind of a, a middle ground. And Jordan Peterson talks about that and that whole thing of uh, Geppetto fishing inside the whale. These fish coming in and the fish, of course, being another symbol, one of the many symbols of JC, Jesus Christ. Oh, right. So the fisherman of men kind of thing. And he fishes Pinocchio into his net as well. And that's where they get together in the movie Mm -hmm. version. Yes. And here's something else. So we're talking about the characters. Now, obviously, Jiminy Cricket is central to the animation. And the song, When You Wish Upon a Star, became famous. And in fact, if you watch Disney, it's still the theme music to all all their shows. Whenever you see a Disney production, it begins with that theme music. And by the way, it won an Oscar for Best Original Score. And there's a song in that score, right? Mm -hmm. It won two Academy Awards. Exactly. So getting back to Jiminy Cricket, you want to talk about a swaying from one side to the other. Yeah. In the original story, he gets killed. Yes, I know. <laughs> with, with a hammer throw from Pinocchio. <laughs> the cricket. Yeah, right. And then he actually comes back as a ghost. As a ghost towards the end. That's right. Walt Disney yeah. included him and decided to let him live. So he came up with the name Jiminy and the idea to make him wear clothes and walk and talk like a real person. Yeah, and to make him the conscience. And Jiminy, you know, hangs around Pinocchio through most of the film. That's right. But not in the original story. And you already talked about the fact that in the original story, it's a giant shark and not a whale. That's right. There was something else that was interesting to me was some of the facts around Pinocchio. By the way, two million drawings were used in the creation of the film, 300,000 of which appear in the final print. So a little factoid. Amazing. And the voice of the fairy was provided by Evelyn Venable. An actress best known for her roles in Death Takes a Holiday, opposite Frederick March, and The Little Colonel, alongside Shirley Temple. Yeah, and Mel Blanc, actually, I think, did some voice work. You know, the famous Mel Blanc, who did a lot of the voices for the Bugs Bunny characters, Daffy Duck. He did some voice work in that film. Yeah, the specific character was Gideon the cat. Right, exactly. And the filmmakers decided to make Gideon a mute like Dopey and Snow White. Oh. And then all of uh, Blank's voice work as Gideon was cut out from the actual film, except for three hiccups. 
<laughs> One of the things I find interesting too, now you saw this film when you were a boy, right? It when was the very first animation I'd ever seen. Yeah. I'd just come over from Italy. I'd only been here a few months. I wasn't quite six yet. And my dad, I don't recall which theater, but I do recall we were living in Eglinton and Caledonia at the time. Mm -hmm. approaching the end of 1958. And uh, he took us to this theater. I don't recall if my sister was with me that day because she would have only been three. Right. But my guess is she was. I don't recall. In any case, I still remember the effect yeah. that the movie had on me. First mm -hmm. of all, because I'd never been to a theater with a big screen. And also because the story itself, as you know, as an adult, there are parts of that animation that can be pretty startling or frightening to a young person. Yeah. And the interesting part about this is that I watched it with my son at roughly the same age, mm -hmm. almost exactly the same age, and pretty much the same age with my granddaughter last weekend. It was <laughs> because I, I wow. knew we were going to do this podcast, and I thought, and it's the only thing she watched that day. I turned it on thinking that I'm probably going to have to turn it off because she may not, may not hold her interest. And she said no. She wanted to watch it. How old is she? She's going to be six in May. Okay. So not only did she watch it, but all three of us, the scene with Monstro, 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 the whale, yeah. is the scene I remember most. And it also is the scene that my son talked about when he saw it. Mm -hmm. And my granddaughter, same thing. So anyways, interesting. And Pinocchio in Italy is almost like a cult figure. Is he? Yes. He's very, very prominent. It would be the equivalent of, I'm trying to draw a parallel Think of a character that's very familiar in North America that most kids grew up with. Would it be Winnie the Pooh or... Yeah, that'd be a good example. Could be a comparison. Mm -hmm. So Pinocchio is very much like that in Italy. And you will find, if you're touring the country, you will find an infinite amount of work related to him, whether it's paintings... Sculpture. Sculpture books, carvings. Yeah, this is um, Sculpture Park, I think. Yeah, right near Colodi. It's yeah. actually called Pinocchio Park. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of connection to him. It's a real fascination with that character. And I find it interesting, too, that the one aspect of the story that people always remember and associate with Pinocchio mm -hmm. is the nose lengthening whenever he lied. Yes. I mean, he goes through all kinds of adventures and things happen to him. But that particular thing that happens during the story where his nose gets longer, it really stayed with people. Yes. In the original, it's not that much of a deal. I mean, it happens. And then he's disturbed and he asks his fairy friend or fairy mother to help him. And she takes pity on him. Mm -hmm. And she gets these woodpeckers to peck away yes. at his long nose till it goes back to normal size. But it's, it's not like a big, big deal in, in the original story. No, but over the years, it's become a very big deal. Yeah. And, and also the fascination with a lot of children Yeah, in terms of the nose. And of course, there's also adult versions of Pinocchio, which have been interesting. The whole growing nose idea. Yeah. There have been remakes of the film in different ways over the years. Numerous remakes. There's one that's coming out with Roberto Benigni, yeah. who's the lead character in Life is Beautiful, which uh, is a remarkable film. I'm really looking forward to this Pinocchio. It's funny because when I think of him, even yeah. in Life is Beautiful, he's almost perfect for the part. He has the physical features. Yep that would draw that uh, connection with mm -hmm. Pinocchio and certainly his comedic abilities yeah. and his persona. Oh, yeah. Should be very interesting. And we did see a trailer. 
Yeah, the trailer is fascinating. Pretty incredible. The way, the way it's animated, half real, half not, it's going to be incredible. And it sounds like it's a bit more true to the original story yes. by the look of it. Yes. A bit more dark. By the way, Paolo Lorenzini, Collodi's nephew, asked the Italian Ministry of Popular Culture to sue Disney yes. for overly Americanizing his uncle's creation. Quote, Pinocchio's adventures are an Italian work of art and must not be distorted to make it American, he said. Oh. He lived beyond 1940. And because Collodi died in 1890. Correct. At 63 or something, a fairly young age. Right? Yes. And suddenly, nothing that I read actually told me how he died. How he died. I just uh, kept reading that he died suddenly. It's an incredible story. Everybody needs to dial up the original story. It's on the net. You can find it. It's 36 chapters long. It's a good long read, but every chapter is filled with really interesting and intense scenes where poor Pinocchio has to learn his lessons and become a good little boy in the end to get his dream of becoming a real boy, which is a kind of an afterthought in the original story, actually, but it's important. Mm -hmm. And just a quick note on the cost to make the 1940 Disney movie. This one cost what? $2.3 million. Two point okay, even if you... you yeah, the 1940... was a lot of money, but even if you adjust it, nothing yeah. to the level that we're at today. Yeah. And on that $2.3 million, it was nearly twice as much as Snow White yeah. to make. It earned less than $2 million during its initial run. Right. It just didn't do as well. Uh, but a lot of these artworks, they don't do well when they come out. And over time, they're seen as classics and they make their money back many times over. It was re-released seven times between 1945 and 1992. Definitely right. profitable by then. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Before we finish, I yeah. think we should talk a little bit about appropriation. Yes. This idea that you can take an artist's work and then change it, adjust it, tweak it, squeeze it, and then create your own creation is on one level, there's a freedom to it, which is very nice for artists to be able yeah. to take somebody's work and do that. And give their own interpretation. Yeah, yeah, it's like doing a cover in music. On the other hand, Disney changed the feeling of it so dramatically that I would almost argue that he did something naughty. He was a naughty boy. Well, to the point that his own nephew wanted to uh, chase him down. Lorenzini's yeah. nephew, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, of course. So, and that happens a lot these days. The whole idea of sampling in music, in mm -hmm. modern music, where you can take a piece of a Lightfoot tune and uh, repeat it over and over again inside your hip-hop tune. Right. Sampling has become normalized now. And from my point of view, I'm not as pleased with that as a writer. Mm -hmm. I'm not as pleased with that idea. But it seems to be accepted in some ways. And we're living with it. And you're only talking basically on the entertainment side right now. What about on the social political arena where we're flipping stories to suit our political ends? Well, here we are in right. the time of true and false. Here's a story. Is it true? Is it false? Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're living in the time where we're all choosing our individual stories. It's called mm -hmm. confirmation bias is the term people are bias, using, yes. where you find the stories that agree with your position in the world. If it's about COVID or politics or whatever, we are living in a time of storytelling and maybe that's all we do have are the stories we tell each other. So I want to ask you just a quick personal question based yeah. on what we're talking about. Yeah. So apart from the appropriation, what happened to you? Because when I approached you on the subject of doing Pinocchio, you had an idea of the story. But then once we discussed it, you did a little bit of research. Yeah. And 
much to your surprise, at least I assume it was surprised by the yes. way you talked to me about it. Yeah. When you learned that the original story varied so much mm-hmm. from everything else you'd heard about Pinocchio. Right. What was your initial reaction? Well, shock, for one. I was shocked at how different these two stories were, even though on the surface they were similar. I was shocked at how the intention of the original writer was just obliterated in a way by Disney. And I was taken aback by it, frankly. Which story intrigued you or interested you more? Well, obviously the first story, because being a writer, I'm not interested in mamby-pamby whitewashing to suit a certain aesthetic and moral idea. I'm much more interested in exploring the original Pinocchio, who is a bit of a mean little bastard, rascal kid, who finds some redemption in the end, becomes a brave Mm -hmm. little boy, essentially. And to me, that's much more satisfying than the Disney syrup that was offered up in 1940, as brilliant as it is. And how did you feel about Collodi and his writing? Well, I'd never heard of him. When we first learned about Pinocchio as kids, we weren't told it was written by someone named Carlo Collodi in 18-whatever. I had no idea when it was written. So what did you think of him as a writer? Well, first of all, I was reading a translation. I mean, if I knew Italian the way you know Italian and could read it the way you read it at the beginning of this podcast, I think it would be a very different experience, similar, but different again. So you have translation from the Italian to the English, that changes it. That's true. And then Disney takes it and changes it again. So stories are always, in a sense, stories are always being translated, interpreted, re-shared in different ways. And maybe that's just the nature of stories and how we live with them. They're not carved in stone. So do you see Pinocchio differently today than you did two weeks ago? (laughs) (laughs) I never even thought of Pinocchio two weeks ago until we thought about the idea. So I think maybe that's a good lesson for people. Let's look at what we take for granted. Mm. Let's explore it, go into it, and suddenly you learn all these things. I've learned a hell of a lot in the last few weeks exploring the world of Collodi and Pinocchio and Disney. So let's all explore together. Yeah, it is a great story. Like, actually, you brought me back to it because I'd been fascinated with him a lot of my life. Yeah. I didn't want to get into it in the podcast, but the adult version. So there's a woman on a cartoon kind of style. She's on a fence. Yeah. And she's got her legs open under her dress. Right. And Pinocchio. (laughs) Where did you see this? And he's got his head stuck between (laughs) her legs and she's going, lie, Pinocchio, lie. We shared that on this oh, part of the podcast. In fact, we just did share it. Yeah, we we just <laughs> recorded that. <laughs> I think you need to put that in somewhere. That's how the podcast should end with that you laughing in that, over that anecdote. I think that's fun. Yeah. So there you have it, folks. See the movie. See the Roberto Benigni remake that's coming out soon. I'm going to see it for sure. Read the original story. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And on that note, ciao, Harry. Ciao, Pinocchio. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.